We record on Turrbal and Yagara country in Mianjin, Brisbane. Brisbane Festival recognises the integral role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples continue to play in the creative and artistic events and celebration spaces and pays respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Beginner's Call takes you backstage with Brisbane Festival and into the hearts, minds and rehearsal rooms of the casts, creators and critics behind Queensland's most anticipated event of the year. My guest is Yorta Yorta Gunai Kurnai theatre maker Andrea James, writer and director of Sunshine Supergirl. This landmark Australian work tells the heartwarming story of Wiradjuri tennis legend Yvonne Goolagong, the greatest Aboriginal tennis player that Australia has ever produced. Sunshine Supergirl is a celebration of spirit and passion over adversity and a tribute to a woman whose sporting prowess continues to inspire a nation. To tell us more about this powerful true story, please welcome Andrea. Hello, great to be here. Andrea, before Ash Barty lifted the trophy at Wimbledon, there was Yvonne Goolagong. What attracted you to Yvonne's story originally? Oh, well... I really remember very strongly as a little Aboriginal girl growing up in regional Victoria on my dad's Yorta Yorta country, you know, the sight of this Aboriginal woman on the screen and I had never seen that before. So it immediately piqued my interest as a young girl and then I'm a really major crazy tennis fan nut and uh, my partner gave me her autobiography as a gift one year he was trying to impress me when we were courting <laughs> and it worked by the way <laughs> and so um yeah I got this as a Christmas birthday present and I opened it up and I just could not put the book down it was such a page turner and I guess we know so much about her from her public persona and, and those gorgeous photographs of her in her Dunlop volleys and little mini skirts, you know, really strutting her stuff on the court. But there were a whole series of, you know, behind-the-scenes machinations and this incredible backstory that was so fascinating to me. And I just thought, why hadn't this story been told in this way before, either through film, TV or stage. And we're heading up to the 50th anniversary of her first Wimbledon win in 72. And I was just like, well, what, or 71, sorry. And I was like, well, why hasn't this story been told? And yeah, it just got the cogs going, I suppose. And it really started ticking away from there. Yeah. And it's an incredible story, a true story that traces Yvonne's journey from small-town tennis prodigy to seven-time Grand Slam champion, which is just astonishing. It must have involved an incredible amount of research from you to bring such a huge story to the stage. What was your process in creating the play? Look, it was a big process and I knew that it needed to be a long-term one. And so I was fortunate enough to get a creative fellowship from Create New South Wales, which was fantastic. So it meant that I could, you know, leave my producing job that I was doing at that time and really dive into it thoroughly. I knew that this was a project that was going to need boots and all, and also boots on the ground. And of course, the first port of call was to contact Yvonne and her husband, Roger, and to let them know about the project. 
And really from there, there's a lot of material in the archives, which was rich and beautiful. But I knew that even more importantly, it was important that I walked onto country. And Yvonne and I sort of share an ancestral link, actually. Her mother, Linda, is, has connections with the Kamragunja mission and the Cooper families, which is where I'm from. And I think always as creatives, but also as First Nations people, that's how we, it's the first port of call, you know, who's your mob? And we make those connections in a way. So I knew that she was also a fresh river woman and really liked to fish on country. So that was the first port of call to travel to a Rajari country, to meet some of her family, to sit on the Murrumbidgee River where her mum and her dad and all her brothers and sisters used to camp and fish and to just really feel that. But also go to the Burrellan Tennis Courts where it all started. Mm. There's a little township there and they have the gigantic Yvonne Gulagong tennis racket that forms the gateway into the town. And I spent a good week in that town as well, just visiting the courts and looking at the wall where she used to hit up as a little kid and talking to locals from there, all of whom, of course, are extremely proud of Yvonne and her achievements that came out of that town. So, yeah, that was a really important part of the journey, in fact, a really vital part of the journey. I I couldn't begin without doing that. Mm. And you mentioned there it's 50 years since that first Wimbledon win for Yvonne, but the role that the town played in her story and in encouraging her and championing her and the fact that 50 years on, the town still is alive with the spirit of that enthusiasm and support for Yvonne. This is, of course, not just a story about an individual, but a town. How did you get to the heart of the community in creating this world for the stage? Yeah, well, I mean, I think as well as the town also really what was very important too was was Yvonne's family and the way that she was parented and encouraged. She's one of eight, so she was surrounded by a really big family and they took her to town. So, you know, she grew up on a dirt floor shack outside of Griffith and then her father took her to Burrellan and they were one of only very few Aboriginal people, families in that town. And, you know, let's not forget that this was before the 67 referendum. I mean, she was coming up as a a young tennis player before even her mum and dad had the right to vote. So, you know, it's quite extraordinary to me that she was able to kind of overcome these great cultural colonial barriers really to achieve something with a lot of sort of obstacles along the way. You know, when you look at her story, everything was just so serendipitous. Her dad had this beat-up old Holden and she put her hand down the back of the seat and there was a an old tennis ball from the previous owner, you know, and uh, she befriended that ball and just wouldn't let it go. And her and her brother and sister, Barbara and Larry, used to hit that ball up against the wall and drive the mum and dad crazy, a ball banging against a tin shack for hours on end. And then, and then of course, when they moved to Burrellan, her dad, uh, Kenny, was a shearer and her shearing boss helped them buy a house which was a little old shop front, and literally out the back of their house was the Burrellan War Memorial Tennis Courts right out the back. And she always sort of laughs, and in her book she says it was just beyond our outdoor dunny was this (laughs) tennis court, which literally became their playground. And so uh, Bill Kurtzman, who was the president of the club at that time, spotted these three 
young Aboriginal kids peering through the fence and they would go over and play. You know, they had to lend tennis rackets and scrounge up tennis shoes and whatnot and the family helped support that. Yvonne's mum made her her first tennis outfit out of a bed sheet. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful story. And I think that very quickly they could see that Yvonne had some talent there. She could really hit a ball, you know, even at the age of seven, nine, ten, people could go, oh, this this girl. In fact, both of her and her brother and sister as well, they became known as the Goolagong Three and they would go around to the district championships and basically terrorise the adults and... Um, <laughs> And win. So, um, yeah, so from there she was spotted by Vic Edwards and Edwards Tennis Academy that were doing regional mass tennis demonstration clinics around regional towns. Yeah, Yvonne was spotted by one of the coaches from there. And, yeah, and really the town when she went to try out in Sydney and to spend the school holidays with Vic Edwards, you know, the family, the whole town raised money to get together a suitcase and so she could have her equipment, her um, tennis shoes and her racket, but also the airfare. You know, mm. Griffith is a long way from Sydney and in those days the roads weren't so good either. So they rallied to raise money for her as well and packed a suitcase and sent her on her way. It's so remarkable, as you say, that an Australian icon and a national treasure such as Yvonne, that when you began this process, you were astounded to discover that her story hadn't been appropriately captured on the stage or in film. Why do you think that is? I think there had been an attempt, ABC had attempted a pilot. Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, to be honest. I mean, I know that she was on This Is Your Life and a few things like that. I mean, I think that tennis in particular is quite hard actually to capture, particularly in film. I think you can kind of get away with a bit of abstraction and creative license with live performance, which is what I've certainly done. But to try and film that, I mean, we were always astounded as performers, as dancers, Katina Olsen and Jax Compton, who do a lot of the dance in the piece. And we were really fortunate to have Vicky Van Hoot, who's generated a lot of the choreography for us absolutely astounded with how did she move like that you know mm. we just we just she makes it look so easy you know <laughs> so we worked really hard to get across physically the physicality of a number one sports person you know it's quite mm. fascinating isn't it to think about being number one at anything in the world I think we're fascinated by that idea and what you have to do to get to that level. So there was a lot, a lot of work in that. And we've really abstracted out, you know, you can make things slow motion. We always knew there's no way we're going to mimic tennis because we'd never be able to do it as great as Yvonne did. She was just known for her grace on the court. But we knew we could bring our creative prowess, our expertise as artists and dancers and choreographers and storytellers, mm. and to bring that to the fore. And Yvonne has really pushed us. There's a lot of sore muscles amongst the cast at the moment, I can tell you, because <laughs> we've had two weeks remounting the rehearsal for the tour with three new cast members. So we've definitely had our work cut out for us. But this is the sort of thing she does. Like She's inspired us as a nation, but she's really inspired us as artists because we absolutely have to be our very best. I mean, it's a real pressure. She's a beloved icon. We really want to honour her story, but we want to capture it physically mm. in the best way that we can as artists. And that's what she's really encouraged us to do. Mm. You mentioned that it was so pivotal as a first step to connect with Yvonne 
and Roger and let them know of your plans, introduce yourself and almost seek their buy-in right from the beginning. Take us back to that that initial outreach, that phone call. How did that play out and, and what was the response from Yvonne? You know, I think it was probably the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever had to do. I mean, I black-tracked her down like most Aboriginal people do on the grapevine through a colleague of a colleague. Uh, we made contact in that way. You know, look, I, I just sort of can't imagine just to be contacted out of the blue by somebody that you don't know to kind of come and meddle with your life story and not only your life story but your legacy. Yvonne and Roger head the Goolagong Foundation and they're really invested in bringing up and inspiring the next new generation of tennis players and providing pathways into education and that's something that they really pour a lot of love into. So their story means a lot to them. <laughs> So, you know, the first conversation, it was great. Yvonne and Roger have been incredibly gracious in sharing their stories with me and meeting with me. I mean, they didn't know me from a bar of soap apart from our tenuous links through Cymru Gunja, through my father and Yvonne's mother as well. So they were just a bit of getting to know you and then reading drafts, which was also really nerve-wracking. Mm. Um, and both Yvonne and Roger were quite critical at times if I steered off the path or didn't get it quite right or we negotiated some things that they would have preferred not to have had in the story. So you know, and they always sort of made it really clear that they really didn't give me permission. I mean, I was doing it. I was letting them know, you know, so that's a very different thing to going along in something in kind of creative partnership. I was just so really fortunate that they were gracious enough to read the drafts. They came to a work in progress showing. They're sports people and we're theatre people, you know, so in a way <laughs> we had to sort of translate each other's language, you know, as well and just trying to explain how creative developments happen and how a work sort of really builds over time and how the choreography takes years and bring them along the ride, you know, so there was what was on the paper, but of course how we were going to approach it in performance and through doing that through movement and dance, it was really important that we gave them a look at that work in progress so that they could really get a sense from it off the page because that was really important to me as well. So, yeah, really nerve-wracking uh, <laughs> process, but I think we've got to know each other a little bit over the years and I hope we've given it some justice. I, I mean, I think that the thing is is that they were there, they were in the experience, we weren't. We'll have, have interpreted this story, dramatised it in a way that, We've taken a lot of creative license, so I'm quite sure that there'll be bits that they really love and other bits that they'll be going, oh, no, but it didn't quite happen <laughs> like that. It's such, a, um, it's such a gift, isn't it, for you as writer and indeed for the company of actors to have access to Yvonne in that way. Quite often these types of performances are legacy pieces and to be able to tell the story and consult with Yvonne would have been an incredible gift. Oh, absolutely. It's been an absolute treasure. We've sort of had to negotiate that all along the way and they've always made themselves really available, you know, to quite lengthy phone conversations for hours and are offering me things that there's no way you could find that 
in archival material. There's kind of really lovely little anecdotes that happened kind of along the way. So that was absolutely an, an utter gift. And, you know, there's parts of the story that are controversial and difficult as well, and you always have to sort of negotiate and navigate that really sensitively without letting people off the hook at the same time. So it's always a negotiation. And live performance evolves and changes. We've had a few new cast members Things always change as well in performance. There's a kind of constant sort of toing and froing. This work that sort of has a kind of life of its own. It's just far more than just the words on the page. Mm. You mentioned the involvement of Indigenous choreographer Vicky Van Hoot in realising the physicality of the piece. Obviously, those tennis sequences are so pivotal to the recreation of this incredible story. Chat us through the physicality of the work and how that is brought to life. You know, we were just so fortunate to be able to work with Vicky. I think Vicky Van Hood is kind of one of Australia's best choreographers around at the moment. She's an incredible maker and she's always looks at things in an incredibly lateral way and I knew that that's what this piece needed notwithstanding the fact that she has Wiradjuri links as well, which was really, really important. So that really was a couple of years of building up the movement language, using some of those shapes from tennis that we know quite well, you know, using that as a springboard for some really fantastic abstraction and some great kind of humour. Vicky's a very funny way of looking at things she'll always sort of draw out the humor so that there's a dance piece where someone is actually the ball there was just a really inventive interesting way of looking at the work and building it up over time you know Katina Olsen who's taken on the movement direction now and has added some additional choreography along the way and Jax Compton have gone along for the ride over the last four or five years and and that's been really important I mean before we start rehearsals all of the cast have to start getting their bodies ready two, three months in advance because we're going to play an elite sports person. Well, your muscles better be honed, mm. <laughs> actually. You can't, you can't just act that. It's like you've got to look fit, you've got to be fit. And all of the cast, that's what is asked of them as well. And Vicky was very stringent on that and as making the muscles look good, that there's a sense of effort mm. as well. So yeah, look, there's just some absolutely stunningly beautiful pieces. Some of them that came out of the first workshop that have remained that were just so easy and beautiful to find and a beautiful marriage between text and choreography that's just been so satisfying. Challenging too, because choreographers and theatre makers, we speak a sort of a different language and we create work. For me, sometimes it was just taking too long. You know, how how mm. long is this piece going to take? You know, like where they would literally go over a phrase for hours and it's just quite, it's such an art form, you know, mm. that stuff has to build up over time and dancers have to have it absolutely in their body and their mind and their heart and that takes time as well. So it was a long gradual process of building on things over a good two or three years wow. to get to a performance place, mm. yeah. Gulagong's legacy is even more significant when you take into account the time and the racism and the sexism that she was forced to endure in her climb to the top. How did you navigate these more painful elements yeah. of her story? Yeah, I mean, you know, like that's the grist for the mill that dramatists, we're always seeking that out from the word go and that's what made the story really interesting. Otherwise, what would it be? 
it's more than just a celebration. It's a critique and a look back at a time when things weren't that great in Australia. And, you know, and I should say they're not that great in some parts of Australia today either. We still have awful incarceration rates, absolutely awful, and children are still being removed. So that's not to say that everything's been miraculously solved over the years. We still have a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. ahead of us as well. I think that's what attracted me to this story. And I always asked myself, my dad grew up on a dirt floor shack as well, and why didn't he become a number one tennis player? What was it actually about it that made it it so miraculous that she got to that place? And in actual fact, it shouldn't have been miraculous. She should have been offered the same pathway as any other young Australian kid at that time too. So to know that all of those things that she had to encounter, the racism, the policies at the time, travelling to London. I mean, her stories of the Wimbledon press and the the inappropriate ways that she was um, reported about, the names that she was called. And I think that it was just amazing to me that she was just able to rise above all of that. And and ultimately, the thing that carried her through was actually her mum and her dad and her mother in particular, who would always say, Did you have a lovely day? For her, it was about, not about the competition, but about enjoying what she does. And I think that was the thing, that strength from her mum and dad. And and I don't think she was completely unaware that she was, what she was doing was amazing in terms of being the first Aboriginal woman to get to this level in a sport in Australia. So yeah, I don't think that was beyond her as well. So I think that's really important. She did encounter racism at White City when she played there. And she was reported really inappropriately at times as well. But to me, it's amazing that she was just able to keep rising above it and proving with her racket what she was all about. Mm. I think also, obviously, 72 was the um, the formation of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. It was a very hot time politically for Aboriginal Australians. And I think there was a lot of expectation from activists that Yvonne would be the spokesperson. And I know that that would have been a really difficult thing to navigate. She's a sports person, you Mm. know, and I think obviously Cathy Freeman and Ash Barty have felt that pressure. Adam Goods, you know, we've seen a lot of that happening for the last decade or so the pressure to represent your whole mob. Really, all you want to do is play your best. So, yeah, a lot of pressures on her that she just seemed to, I don't know, glide through in a very gracious, strong way. She was an incredibly confident young person looking back at all her archival videos. There was just something just so strong that she got from her upbringing and her family and her cultural grounding that just stood her in such good stead to seemingly glide through these challenges, you know, racial, cultural, political challenges to do what she was able to do. Mm. Some of the early reviews of the production following its premiere season note your obvious passion for tennis that comes through so clearly in the writing. Where did your love for the sport begin? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm just a bit of a tennis geek, I suppose. I used to play it a little bit when I was a kid and I used to watch it as well. I used to love watching it. I don't know. I think there's something about two people, two characters, two personalities, you know, who stand at the opposite end of a court and just hit balls at each other as hard as they possibly can. I mean, it's such an unpredictable sport 
each character brings to it the game has a, a certain dynamic depending on who your opponent is. And also there's these incredible mind games. You know, I was really interested in how do you focus like that in a stadium with literally thousands of people and it's just you and the ball, like it's not a team sport and the sort of tactics that you have to use, it's just gripping for me. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, if I could combine my two greatest loves, tennis and theatre, I'm just in creative heaven, you know. (laughs) It's very enjoyable to watch, really enjoyable to be an audience member in the space because it's so dynamic and mm. I, I'm attracted by that as a theater. I'm, I'm not a thought and ideas or conversational kind of theatre maker. For me, it's about the action and the politics and this sort of physical dynamism that was really, really interesting to me mm. and, and thankfully just gives this project just something really delicious to work with. I just thank my lucky stars every day when I go into the studio space and everyone's warming up and then away we go. I think that is one of the really special things about this work and and something that I'm so personally excited about is the atmosphere that is conjured inside the space. And I know audiences who are very familiar with Queensland Performing Arts Centre will see a very transformed playhouse, including the introduction of these courtside seats that are used to evoke the action and magic of Wimbledon. Was it always your vision to have the audience so close to the action? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just always knew from the word go that it had to be set around a tennis court and that was the experience. I mean, that was Yvonne's world. And if you've ever been so close up or even just to be able to walk up in the Australian Open and and watch someone serve literally metres away, it's really exciting. And, yeah, I always knew that that was a compromise I really didn't want to make where I was just like, no, we have to really honour the place of this. You can't theatricalise it. You don't look at tennis in an end-on way. It's this all-consuming event, really, and it's watching the crowd and hearing the crowd responses actually which make it what it is. If you were to just watch tennis in isolation without the crowd, it would be something really, really different. So to me, to be able to sit on one side of the court, you know, or the stage and see the responses of the audience on the other side, you know, is always really exciting to me. Nerve-wracking as a theatre maker because, you know, if someone's bored, you'll you'll see yeah. it. <laughs> and are there live um, yeah. balls in the show? How do you control? Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we mime them. Sometimes they're there. We hit them around a few times, not at a hundred and something kilometres an hour, of <laughs> course, but, you know, they're there as interesting objects. Yeah. And have any space. of them ever gone awry in the audience? No, they, they're quite, they behave themselves okay. quite well. But Romany Harper, she actually went out and thoroughly researched the times, the 70s and 80s, where they actually used to use white balls. Mm. So she went and sourced white tennis balls because that's what they used to be back in the day. So she's been amazing. um, So you're here to challenge that age-old debate that you should never work with children, animals or tennis balls. That's right. Or if you do have a great ensemble on hand, you can chase them (laughs) up. (laughs) This work received its premiere in a very special way at Griffith, which is, of course, Yvonne's stomping ground, her hometown. What was it like welcoming her local community for that very first performance? Yeah, look, I just could not think of a more perfect way 
to kickstart the project really and that felt really, really important and I was lucky that my producers performing lines really understood that as well. And there was the Yarrawala Wiradjuri Arts and Culture Festival that was happening this year. The the Griffith Regional Theatre were just so supportive of this project and it was not an easy thing for them to do. We basically took over their local basketball court and they created a bespoke theatre especially for this project, you know, and I know... You know, regional theatres aren't flush with funds or human resources, but they absolutely moved mountains to get this show here because they could understand how important it was to be able to have the world premiere of their homespun story done in their hometown. So it was an absolute delight. Some of Yvonne's family were there, which was just so important for us, and they were really delighted by the work and really moved. So it was just the perfect, perfect way to kickstart this show, but also for the cast and crew to really understand the country. Every day, every night, we'd sort of sit out and look up at the stars and the moon and swim in the river during Mm. the day. And that was just such a vital, important part of the project and the perfect way to kickstart it, Mm. really. And now on the eve of its first national tour, which in the context of the last couple of years just almost seems unfathomable that a work of this scale and nature is about to hit the road for a national tour. But what are you most looking forward to about seeing that work in different communities across the country? Oh, look, I mean, I just, it's just such a great thing to share with people. It's so positive. And I grew up in regional Victoria. Things like this hardly ever came to my town. So I'm just delighted that we're able to go into regional towns and also that we get to grace the main stages because this story is worthy of the biggest stages in Australia and, dare I say it, the world. I'm really thrilled that we are able to adapt to regional centres as well because this is ultimately a story that came from the bush. It was generated from the bush. And most importantly for me, I whenever when I was writing this, I was thinking about my nieces and my nephews, my little niece, you know, Dana was turning 14, which was when Yvonne left her childhood home to move to Sydney. And I just think that if young Australians and of course, young Aboriginal Australians in particular can get some inspiration and and encouragement from this story, then that means the world to me. I mean, that's what keeps me up, wakes me up in the morning is to kind of get out there and share an inspiring story and to also quite truthful about some of the struggles and challenges along the way. She certainly wasn't given (laughs) a free ride. This story demonstrates like if you work really hard and you enjoy what you do and you're focused and you do things for the right reasons, you can do and be really whatever you want to be. And, And that to me is the most important story to be telling Mm. and to be sharing with audiences and young people near and far. And it feels particularly pertinent, I think, in 2022 as we begin the 10-year countdown to the 2032 Olympic Games where, who knows, we may be yet to discover the next Yvonne Goolagong. Yes, let's hope so, you know, and, you know, obviously with Ash Barty's recent success and the absolute thrill of seeing Yvonne hand over the Australian Open trophy was just such a delight and Ash has retired way too soon for our liking, but she, <laughs> you know, 
she's self-determined and she knows what she wants to do. And and I can assure you that Yvonne and Roger are working really hard through the Gulagong Foundation to build up and to bring up the next generation. And they are definitely waiting in the wings. I know that for sure. I know um, some people around who are swinging a tennis racket in a pretty deadly way at the moment. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing another Yvonne Gulagong or another Ash Barty in the not to near future. That sounds like an inside scoop. Will only come from a true tennis nut. Uh, <laughs> I am so incredibly excited that this work is receiving its Queensland premiere at this year's Brisbane Festival. I have had the great fortune of chatting with its writer and director, Andrea James. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrea. Thank you. My pleasure. Brisbane Festival returns to fill the city with three weeks of wonder, delight, Australian legends and celebration from the 2nd to the 24th of September. For information and tickets, visit brisbanefestival.com.au.